0: This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Since Senator Elizabeth Warren announced her plan for a wealth tax, several questions have cropped up, like what would the impact be on the U.S. economy or how much money would it raise? The plan, by the way, would impose a 2% tax on net worth over $50 million and a 6% tax above $1 billion of net worth. The Penn Wharton budget model reviewed the, uh, the impacts on their ro- most recent proposal, and their report is now out. Kent Smetters joins me in studio. He's a professor of business economics and public policy here at the Wharton School as well as faculty director of the Penn Wharton budget model. And, of course, you also hear him as host of your money every Tuesday at 5 p.m. here on Sirius XM 132. Good to see you. Good to be here. So let's dig into this. Yeah. Uh, so the impacts, if you go by what the proposal has been laid out, 2% tax over $50 million of net worth, 6% tax over $1 billion, what impacts does it have?
1: Yeah, uh, so it's, break it down into two areas. How, how much money does it actually raise, and then what's the impact on the... Uh, economy and uh, the, the campaign um, it, it suggested that their uh, tax would raise about 3.7 trillion dollars over uh, the normal 10-year budget window and now obviously if that money were available for various spending programs it could be afforded and so forth uh, and we estimate that about uh, about a trillion dollars less of that uh, would be raised about 2.7 trillion dollars so still a pretty nice you know model of revenue, um, and, but in that, that, that falls even more to $2.3 trillion if, in fact, you include some economic uh, feedback effects. So basically, we show about $1.0 to $1.4 trillion less in actual revenue.
0: So where is, where lies the difference, I guess, in the numbers that the Warren plan has and, yeah. and what you've come up with?
1: Uh, and there's really a, a couple of different areas. The one is we uh, a, a, a certainly assume that people will change their behavior to, to try to avoid some of the tax, uh, that some of that illegal behavior that they could engage in, things right. like set up foundations that uh, have less than a billion dollars, uh, uh, things like that to escape at least the high threshold of the, of the tax, um, if. If they're planning on giving some of their money away, and some of those things could be, you know, illegal um, uh, things that are very hard to sometimes determine. I mean, uh, it, often it's not clear what's illegal. Illegal. It's until the tax courts decide if that is. So we have a fairly um, aggressive, uh, based on both international evidence where there has been some wealth taxes, as well as our interviews with tax experts, as well as our own internal tax experts team, including former Treasury uh, people who worked on tax avoidance in the past. Uh, uh, have uh, it, it modeled what we think is a reasonable avoidance uh, uh, mechanisms. And so that's part of it. And also, it's uh, also how, how the money is spent a, a, as well. And yeah, it's, it's, so there's uh, some uh, components there where uh, we have a little bit more aggressive, I think, spending returns than, uh, than uh, some people may think would be kind of reasonable. But if anything, right. we've given a pretty uh, nice return to those spending. But even with that, uh, you still have some uh, economic activity that has been reduced, even with positive spending returns.
0: That was going to be my next question, yeah. is when you look at the economy, uh, obviously a lot of people normally associate, okay, what's the impact going to be on GDP? Right. And so we, we project, depending on what you do with the revenue,
1: um, over the long term, GDP will fall between one to two percentage points. Wages uh, on a pre-tax basis will fall um, about 08 to uh, about 2.7%. Uh, a, as well, uh, and so uh, you know, we're not talking about you know huge you know uh, 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 reductions there, uh, but they are you know often people focus on the sign uh, yeah. and what's positive or negative, and it is in fact uh, a, a negative direction. And uh, the reason why it's a range, it, it, it depends on how the money is ultimately spent.
0: Right, and, and I guess we can get into that for a second because when you look at the the potential areas where the money could be spent, obviously there's a wide range of yeah. options that. Yeah that could be at play here yeah that's right
1: and so and the, uh Senator Elizabeth Warren has focused on things like a pre-k education it historically it's had a pretty high return of seven to ten percent per dollar spent per year uh, so that's you know seven to ten cents in every dollar spent uh, per year so that's a pretty high uh, return um, also things like health care if you uh, suddenly gave health care to un- the uncovered population uh, it, they, they haven't actually matched the money raise with the spending programs. Yeah. So what instead what we had to do is look at a broad basket of spending programs that could potentially happen. And we use the current uh, distribution of public spending across the board that includes things, some things like pre-K education to things including even like roads and infrastructure, the, the physical no. assets. And so we, in our calculations, actually assume a 12% annual return on money spent. So pretty, I would say pretty that's high a, still. Yeah,
0: that's an aggressive. Uh, That's a
1: pretty high uh, aggressive number, and also the time to build uh, of actually spending that money. If you're talking about roads, you're also to also talking about then time to build those roads and get them active uh, uh, are probably faster than um, say pre-K education. That takes a long time for that to kind of filter uh, filter through. And so, uh, but and so when we talk about that 0.9 or that 1% reduction in GDP includes that uh, higher. you know, uh, return to to basically break even on GDP, to have no effect on GDP, say, by 2040. You need uh, each dollar to to, to return about almost 15 cents per year, so a 15% ROI, uh, uh, on, on your investments, and so um, uh, of course there are other factors you know at play here. Right. I mean, uh, for example, you could talk about secondary effects, like if you thought some lower income uh, females, and that the campaign has talked about this, if suddenly they have access to childcare, maybe they could go to work. Um, and so those are some factors that could also be you know important to, to consider in the future uh, here. Those are likely more than dominated by the high ROIs that we talk about here. Um and there's also uh, it's also a fundamental trade-off. If you believe that you're gonna get more revenue um from the, than what we're suggesting, right. then you also have to believe that the tax actually has more bite to it. Right. So there's a fundamental classic trade-off between equity and efficiency, and that is if you think you can get more revenue for programs like that, then the then the tax actually has bigger uh GDP effects uh, than what we're modeling.
0: We're joined by Kent Smetters, who is uh, faculty director of the Penn Wharton Budget Model. We're talking about their report as they took a look at the uh, the proposal put out right now by Senator Elizabeth Warren for the wealth tax. And again, 2% tax on net worth over $50 million, 6% above $1 billion of net worth. And, and I think that issue of net worth is is something I wanted to touch on anyway, yeah. because it's a unique dynamic to really be putting in play here for trying to drive a, a, a revenue gain to, to benefit uh, the the economy and the U.S. government.
1: Yeah, and it, it really comes down to what do we even think of it as net worth? You know, um, uh, how, how do we count that? And that's been the struggle that a lot of countries uh, – so at one time, 12 countries had a wealth tax. It went down to three in 2018. Now it's four. Um, and they've raised a lot less money than we're talking about here. Uh, and their, their, their taxes sometimes were, were broader than we're talking about here, a little much lower threshold, like a prop tax. In some cases, they were narrower. Uh, But just the definition of what is net worth and then you know trying to figure that out. Especially, so if you're talking about a stock that's traded in the stock market, it's it's marked, uh, price is marked every day. That's pretty straightforward. If you're talking about a privately held business, that becomes more uh, uh, challenging. If you're talking about, like, how do you think about a pension plan that's giving you a stream of income over time? Should that value be capitalized into its present value and treated as, as an asset? So all those things are very kind of uh, uh, challenging uh, to figure out, and that's where a lot of countries have found that very hard to administer.
0: But when you think about hitting that 50 million plateau, yeah. and you think about some of the businesses that, that could be potentially right. in that realm, and I'm thinking more specifically about businesses that have done well, but they may be owned by a family or owned by right. a small entity, you're talking about a potential, I think, significant impact on that business over a period of time. You have,
1: and, and in particular, some countries like Spain, that actually still has a wealth tax, they've exempted privately held businesses just for that reason, because they're afraid that the family would either have to sell the business, right. um, and the uh, the Warren campaign, is uh, some of their uh, economists behind uh, their their numbers, have suggested well, maybe the business could actually uh, give some share, some equity to the government um, in, a, in exchange <laughs> For actually, you know, trying to do a loan against the business, uh, things like that. But then that creates a lot of challenges because ultimately the government doesn't want shares, they want money. Right. So they're going to sell those shares to somebody else and now all of a sudden on your cap table who's help <laughs> owning your, your farm or your bowling alley or whatever it is that you know has value over $50 million, they're now part owner. And if they're part owner they want to make sure what wage you're paying yourself so that you don't suck all the money through wages so that you no. cheat your shareholders. So now we're going to apply Sarbanes-Oxley you know, to that type of business. Are we going to go for For essentially 40 Act, you know, 1940 Act type compliance uh, for that, it raises a lot of tricky issues when you're talking about. Firstly, even even the arguments about what that business is worth, um, you know, that that could drag out for tax court for a long time. Uh, But then, secondly, how do you actually get that money?
0: Well, just I think on on the uh, on the straight aspect of ownership of a business, in most cases a company, an entity that is private, has wanted to stay private for a specific that's reason. Right, that's right, And the last thing they want to do is to a degree muddle up their ownership yeah. by having, as you just laid out, a scenario where you may be bringing in other owners that may not have been vested in the interest of the company in any way, shape, or form over the, over the life of the firm.
1: Yeah, you have diffuse owners and then you know, all these issues of what their rights are to make sure that they're not being uh, cheated, and it, it's it's if you think Sarbanes Oxley was there to try to solve that problem, it's, you know compliance costs of Sarbanes Oxley is about one and a half million dollars a year, then, you know, should it apply then in, in, in these cases as well. In some cases, you know, the private business um, may actually face rules. Like, for example, if you own the New York Yankees and you're giving out shares now to the government in the New York Yankees, you know, Major League Baseball doesn't, uh, it's actually against the club rules yeah. to actually borrow against the value of your team in, the, in order to, to, for anything And so you, you're giving out shares now and all of a sudden you know <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: you have Boston Red Sox fans who want to, <laughs> no I'm, I'm kidding of course but nonetheless yeah it, it becomes extremely
0: complicated
1: to to administer.
0: Uh, Kent Smetter is joining us here in studio so we're talking about the uh, proposal that the uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren's uh, campaign has put out in, in terms of the idea of a wealth tax. So when you look at, at what is presented at least right now, are there aspects to it? that potentially can be built on, maybe can be looked at moving forward? And obviously, again, as you said, some of this is the devil in the details about how that money would be spent. But are there elements of this that could be a path going forward? Yeah, so t- it's certainly at um, it, it, it,
1: it, it, the Penn Wharton Budget Model, we don't take advocacy positions. We just, yeah. you know, hardcore analysis and yeah. we, uh, it, we did this with the last Tax Cuts and Jobs Act where the administration was not happy with our numbers either and, yeah. and so forth. So we're, we're equal opportunity yeah. to be loved and hate by, by, by all. But nonetheless, um, when we think about uh, tax, taxing wealth is challenging. Yeah. Taxing high income uh, or even wealthier people is much easier if you're thinking now about, let's say, estate taxation. Right. And estate taxation is essentially a, a, like a wealth tax, but happens at end of life. Um, in that case, there is a settling up of amounts. There is, you know, pricing that that, that happens. Um, there's a current rule called step up of basis in death, and so there are elements here it's different than a standard wealth tax, but that we do have a history with, and the enforcement becomes much easier. Or even things like, instead of the the, the stock of capital, the returns to capital, we, we we have a history of knowing how to tax that, whether it's on a realization basis, an accrual uh, basis, um, it potentially increasing the capital gains tax rate. We've shown that if you're trying to maximize revenue, we posted something a couple of weeks ago, if you're trying to maximize revenue, um, the capital gains rate could actually actually be increased um, in order to, uh, to get more revenue and if you got rid of things like what's called step up a basis at death which yeah. allows a lot of wealth to be untaxed upon, upon uh, in estates upon death. And um, then they, uh, the revenue maximizing tax rate on capital gains goes up even more. Um, so there are lots of ways that you can kind of hit at this wealth, uh, but there are much more in, uh, easy to administer if they focus on the income from the wealth rather than the wealth itself. So
0: how challenging then is the, the idea of the administration of this, going this path, yeah. when you think about, as you just say, the dynamics between something like like dealing with the estate tax in comparison to what we're talking here with the wealth tax.
1: Yeah, and the estate tax has been used by, uh, including uh, folks like Larry Summers and others, too, who are very anti-kind of wealth tax, as evidence of how easy it is to kind of avoid things. But in the case of estate tax, mm-hmm. it, it's it's kind of easy to avoid almost on purpose. We sure. we, we make yeah. the rules. I mean, we could actually change those rules much easier. The administration of a wealth tax uh, is something that hasn't been cracked. Yet, really, by any country. Um, that's the reason why almost half of the OECD countries had a wealth tax at one point, and now uh, most have pulled back. Yeah. It's just administratively very challenging to, to do it at the, at, the, at the actual stock of wealth level. If you're t- talking about taxing the returns to that wealth, that is something that we have a lot more experience uh, uh, doing. And so sometimes people say, well, you know, someone could pay a wealth tax, for example. I'll give you another example. Of the, uh, the challenges. I'll pay the wealth tax from the returns to my wealth. So if I'm only being taxed two percent or six percent, if I'm a billionaire, then I just my assets just have to you know produce a return of at least six percent a year, and I can pay the wealth tax. Sure. That logic okay. is actually not quite right though. No. And, and the reason why is that uh, if if you really have a high growth asset like that, that is producing very high returns, then the market's going to know that, especially if it's a publicly traded asset, and that's going to be capitalized in the price immediately. Yeah. And therefore, your wealth, reported wealth level is going to go up immediately. In order for you to be able to make that six percent bogey every year, um, you're going to actually have to have uh, not just a stock that's high performing, uh, that's at like a uh, a company that's high performing over time, yeah. but systematically year after year after year, the market is underpricing it, so that you can actually get that pretty aggressive return in order just to make it to, to make your tax
0: bill. So, for those listening to us, then going back to the GDP question for for a yeah. second, when you're talking about a, a potential decline uh, of one percent, I guess you on the top side, you, I think you said one point four percent, a two point one percent, two point one percent. We're talking about that, what kind of impact? Where are they, in in the core of you thinking about GDP and services and all this, where does that one to 2% really potentially- Hit the road, yeah, yeah. where does the rubber hit hit the road? I
1: mean, if this is all just coming from, you know, Billionaires having fewer yachts, to, you know, to buy—that's one thing. No one's going to have too much, uh, you know, tears shed over that. But where what it really comes in for the kind of the for everybody else, where the rubber hits the road, is really in wages. Billionaires are billionaires because they're investing in companies that aren't being worked by billionaires. They're being worked by you and me yeah. who get wages and so forth,
0: making minimum wage <laughs> or a little bit more, right? Yeah. Well,
1: for my show, you you know, I, I make even less than minimum wage on SiriusXM. I'm, I'm Make a very single round number for my show. They,
0: although they, they I they, think they, I know that number they, too. By they, the way, <laughs> they double
1: they double my wage every year for, for for my Series XM show. They agreed to do that. But nonetheless, um, you, you, the workers get wages from those capital investments that entrepreneurs are making, and that's kind of where the where this this is now a broader impact. Yeah. It's not just uh, the rich paying uh, more taxes. It's a, it's a broader, diffuse impact on wages, and we predict wages uh, to fall between 0.8 and 2.7 percent over time, and that is uh, depending on how the money is spent and so forth. We want to be careful, though, that's pre-tax wages. Right. You could actually have a redistribution of that money that an after-tax, after-transfer basis, right. still makes someone better off. So maybe their pre-tax wage goes down a little bit, but now they can afford health care, or now they right. can afford pre-K education. And so, you know, a holistic view, once we you know get the tying between how this money is raised and what is ultimately going to be spent on, uh, we can you know, talk about that holistic yeah. and actually uh, look at it from an after-tax, after-transfer.
0: So, for people that would like to dig into this a little bit more, it's up on the Penn Wharton Budget Model website at this point. It is. Yep. Great to having you here, Kent. Thank great you very much. Here. By the way, that that round number, you probably should have had your former producer work on that. A oh bit. man,
1: but you know, she, she's so great at the phone lines. She of her, is. But you know, she look, absolutely she is, never man. she never negotiates. Of course, <laughs> for for the <laughs> listeners here, <laughs> yes. that they should know that you. You stole my former producer I didn't steal you her stole her from right underneath me i did steal her
0: wow holy cow thanks ken my pleasure you got it kent uh, smetters uh faculty director of the pen wharton budge model and again as you mentioned uh you hear him every tuesday here on sirius xm 132 your money 5 p.m eastern time to keep engaged with wharton business daily and other wharton school shows visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu